Well, I'm not sure when the Y designed this gym, they expected it to be such a great singing hall. Did you think so? I don't know that this room's ever been used for a more noble purpose than what you just experienced here this morning. Thanks for being at Headwaters this Easter. It's an honor to have you. And um, for 35 years, I have stood in front of this church family on Easter mornings. It's been in uh, three different locations in a variety of different uh, sanctuaries, if you will. And uh, there's been a constant, though, and let me share with you what that is, and that is that I have repeated over and over that if we're wrong about Easter, if, if the resurrection of Jesus is not true, then we're a group of liars, and we're a group of phonies, and we are people who are hopeless and helpless, and we are wasting not only our time this morning, but our lives in general. Did I state that clear enough with enough uh, definition for you to say this? If there is no resurrection from the dead, Christianity has no reason to exist. Or maybe even we could say it this way, it really doesn't exist. Um, There have been many saviors born on this earth. There have even been more saviors who have died. But there is only one Savior who has risen from the dead. So when you go to Buddha's tomb, he's in there. Muhammad, in there. Joseph Smith started the Mormon church in his tomb. Ron Hubbard, y'all know Ron Hubbard? The church of Wackadoodle. I lived in Clearwater, Florida, in the middle of that cult. I was surrounded by them. I lived, any, it's not important. The Church of Scientology, Ron Hubbard was a science fiction writer who was broke and decided to start a religion in order to become wealthy, and he did. Guess what's in his tomb? He is. But when you go to Jerusalem and you trace down where Jesus was buried, you can look in there and you go, he is not here. He has risen. Now, let me get the opposite of this. If we're right, if we're right about the resurrection and Jesus truly is the only risen Savior to ever be on this planet, then it kind of makes sense for us to learn as much about him as we can, doesn't it? It behooves us to go, I wonder what that was all about. Who was he? Why was he here? Well, I have good news for you this morning. In the pages of the Bible, we can learn all about him and why he came. And perhaps there's no greater text than ours this morning at thinking about exactly who Jesus is. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. A place where we're going to gain knowledge about him that is unseen in other places. A, A place that is so filled with a description of him that it will exhaust the greatest minds that have applied themselves to it. Uh, a little disclaimer up front. I'm going to irritate you by how shallow I am with some of these things today. Some of you budding theologians are going, oh, this is going to be the best. 
If I preached everything that was in this text in one message, you might be here till next Easter, okay? And then you might have to not want to be here that long. Anyhow, that being said, it's an amazing, amazing description of who Jesus is, and I just want you to taste it this morning. Uh, Luke and I are then going to come back the next two weeks, and we're going to go right back over it again in greater detail, okay? So we're going to dig into the theology next Sunday and the Sunday after that. Today, there's an ethical reason why Christ came that's in this passage. You stand. Let's hear what God's Word has to say. If you're not used to a Bible, there's some in the chairs, and we're on page 980 in the Bibles in the chairs. I'm going to read the first 11 verses, even though I covered the first four last Sunday. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is what? You didn't sound as enthusiastic as you should. You want to try it again? That Jesus Christ is to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be able to open our Bibles and learn of you. This master plan of yours to redeem humankind from its sinfulness by sending your Son, and we beg you to teach us who he is today. I pray for the heart here that's a skeptic or that is broken and bitter and I pray that they could see the amazing Savior of their soul, maybe for the first time. Would you open it to the truth of your word and flood that heart with the joy of the resurrection today? We definitely need your help. These words are amazing, and the description is awesome. I hope, Father, you'll be pleased with the consideration of it. Help us all to hear your Spirit's voice. And give us the courage to follow what we hear in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So I'm going to give you five statements about who Jesus is out of this passage. Uh, then uh, why he came and what to do with him, okay? I'm going to put these in a way, hopefully, that make them very relatable. So, for example, the first statement is who Jesus was before Christmas, and they're all going to be tied to these big Christian celebrations, if you will. The, the passage says in verse 6 that he was in the form of God, 
but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Think about what the Bible just said about Jesus. He existed prior to being born. He was there as God, with God, before he ever came to this earth. You'll notice the Bible also says that he shared equality with God. That is, um, in his being, in his substance, in his essence, in his attributes, Jesus is just like God because he is God. Everything about him, the Bible says, is divine. Let's go to the Gospel of John quickly and hear another voice. Uh, page 896, if you're following along in that chair Bible. Page 896. John chapter 1, a very famous passage. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. When not any, and without Him, not anything was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is the Word of God. Verse 14, And that same Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. A verse, by the way, that the Jehovah's Witnesses understand so undoes their view of Christ that they had to change the wording of it. And so in their, in their book, no one has ever seen a God. Boy, the little word A makes a big difference, doesn't it? But it's not in the original. They just added it in there because if verse 18 is true, there's no reason to not believe in Christ as God. And so you put John 1 there and you connect it to uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2 and we walk away and the first thing we can say, who was Jesus before Christmas? He was equal to the Father. He came and, 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 and had every aspect of God. The form of God was in him. The substance of God was in him. His attributes were in him. He was divine. Um, next, Paul, in his description, says of him in verse 6, uh, that he, he decided that that was not a thing to be held on to or grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He starts to pile up a description of who Jesus was at Christmas. So before Christmas, he is with God, he is God. But the Bible says an interesting thing here. He was not willing to hold on to the equality that he had. There was a willingness in this Jesus to let go of that which he already was. He refused to be selfish about who he was as a divine member of the Trinity. Interesting. The Bible says it was not a thing for him to hold on to or to be grasped. Instead of holding on to it, he emptied himself of it. Uh, I do not have time to recount all the ink that's been spilled on what that means. 
But I can tell you this, if you look at the passage itself, there are four descriptions of what it means to be emptied. Description number one, he took the form of a slave. So uh, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Think of that. The Bible portrays this Jesus as the one who created all things, and now he becomes a slave in the midst of all things he created. Number two, he's being born in the likeness of man. Number three, he's found in human form. A little different word. It's the word schema. Uh, if you're involved, it's a schematic. He, he has... The, the, the frame and the outline of a human being. And then fourth, becoming obedient to death. What did it mean for him to empty himself? It meant that he took the form of a slave. It meant that he was born in the likeness of man. It meant that he was found to be in human form. It meant that he was obedient unto death. Those are the things he became when he emptied himself. In other words... Everything that man is, Jesus was. The first phrase, everything that God is, Jesus is. The second phrase, everything that man is, Jesus was. We have a very unique person here, don't we? There's never been another one like him. just read in John chapter 1, in the, uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father. Only begotten, a very unique Word. He's a one of a kind. He's a masterpiece. There has never been another one before Him like Him. There's never been another one since Him like Him. So Jesus then, from the position of authority and creator, becomes a slave to God and his will. Friends, we call it Christmas. A celebration of Jesus becoming a slave. I don't remember hearing that in the hymns. I don't remember us celebrating Christmas like that. But that's exactly what the Bible said he did. It's odd. Oh, no, it gets stranger. The next phrase is who Jesus was on Good Friday. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. So God robes himself in humanity, comes to this earth through a virgin, becomes a slave to all of the will of the Godhead, and that will puts him on a cross. And Jesus willingly hangs on that cross. He willingly allows the people he created to nail him to that tree. This is who Jesus is. Interestingly, in the passage, Paul calls him obedient. Kind of an odd thing to say about a God, isn't it? He is obedient. 
He only uses it one other time to describe Christ. It's in um, Romans chapter 5. If you'd turn there with me. Romans chapter 5, page 942. And then I'm going to show you one other one from the writer of Hebrews. Romans chapter 5, verse 18 says, therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many were made righteous. Uh, Let me tip my hand before you doze off. When we get to why he came, I'm going to talk to you in a few minutes about what I'm going to talk to you about now. Is that a brilliant thing to do? By hanging on that cross, by becoming a man, by emptying himself and placing himself in slavery to the will of the Godhead, Jesus purchased your salvation. The the verse says, by, the, by one man's obedience, many are made righteous. This is your hope, dear friends. This is our chance. We have no opportunity apart from Christ. When the Bible says he became obedient unto death, it is the obedience to the will of the Father to lay his life down to pay the price for your sins because you can't save yourselves. Hebrews chapter 5. Let me take you there. Page 1003. Who knew the Bible had so many pages? Verse 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. To him he was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became a source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Did you catch what the Bible just said right there? Being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. This is our chance, you guys. God has prepared a way for us. His name is Christ. And I know it's real popular in today's world to say, I'm glad that works for you. I have my own path. But all other paths lead to Savior-filled tombs. All other paths lead to destruction. All other paths will give you disappointment. I've told this story a lot of times. It's the only life I have, so I have to repeat some of the same stories. And it doesn't start out very good for me. I was in a pawn shop. And all of a sudden you're going, why are you in a pawn shop? Well, I was short on cash, and I had to, talk. no, I didn't. I, I, <clears throat> I was just downtown, and I was in B&B alone, and I'm walking around in there, and I'm looking at stuff, because it kind of interests me to go to those places. How much does a circular saw cost in a pawn shop? Um, too much. But that's neither here or there. And 
I look across the counter, and a girl that I grew up with down the street from me is behind the counter. Her name's Debbie. And I'm like, whoa, I haven't seen her in like 10 years. <laughs> I, as I thought, I thought, oh man, you're going to date yourself when you say it's been 40 years since you saw this person. <laughs> and we just started talking and we, you know. she's a recovering alcoholic in the conversation. And if you're familiar with the 12-step program, eventually they want to connect you with a higher power. I thought, well, I'll take a shot. Tell me about your higher power. It's my oak tree in my backyard. What do you mean it's your oak tree? Well, whenever I see that tree, I realize there's something bigger than me in this world. And it connects me to the idea that I'm not the most important thing. Really? You want to make up your own gods? You want to create your own saviors? You want to bow and worship the trees or the ocean or the mountains or, or nature in and of itself? Do you want to substitute that for this? A, a God who loves you enough to send himself to you to die, to take on human flesh, to die and through the obedience of that death the Bible says that it gives eternal salvation. What happens when an oak tree blows over in a storm? Get a new tree. <clears throat> On Good Friday, our Lord, through His obedience brought hope of salvation to anyone who would believe in him rather than the tree in their backyard. Now, I've gotten way ahead of myself because that's supposed to come later, but y'all look like you're a little tired, and I want to get that in before you doze off because you, if you doze off thinking about that, you might wake up wanting it, right? Let's go to the next point, though. So that's who he was on Good Friday. How about on Easter? Verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. The exaltation of Christ started with the conquering of the grave. You cannot separate the exaltation of Jesus excuse me, with his resurrection or from his resurrection. It is absolutely essential for you and I to understand that. It is why the resurrection is so central to our faith. Let me show you. Acts chapter 2, page 910. At least flipping pages keeps you kind of doing something, right? I'm doing stuff. There's so much here, I'm just going to skim it. Verse 23, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The will of the Father. Obedient unto death. And then the human element, you killed him. <laughs> it was God's plan and you did it. Interesting. All you Calvinians out there can have fun with that verse. 
And you crucified and was killed by the hands of lawless men, and God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Look over, Peter's still preaching later in the sermon. Uh, verse 32, he says, This Jesus God raised up, and of all that we are witnesses, being therefore he is exalted to the right hand of God the Father. The exaltation of Christ begins at the resurrection. When the Bible says he's lifted up, he was lifted up out of the tomb. It is the first step back to the right hand of the Father. Ephesians uh, chapter 1, uh, page uh, 976. I'm supposed to hear those pages turning. Come on. Get the app on your phone. Hear those pages. Verse 20, he says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the, in the one to come. That is our resurrected Lord. Who was he on Easter? He was the exalted son of the living God. He was the exalted God, the son. Which then takes me to the fifth point, and that is, who was he after Easter? And it says here in verse 9, that at the, uh, it was bestowed on him a name that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, if I compare Messiahs, it's not close, you guys. Uh, years ago, I was in Beijing, China, a uh, college student and a summer uh, trip there in 1980. There were no cars in China in 1980. But there were bicycles, let me tell you. They were everywhere. Anyhow, we're in Tiananmen Square. In the center of Tiananmen Square is a tomb. Mao Zedong is buried in that tomb. He is vacuum-packed in a crystal casket. And over the, over the, above the casket were these giant Chinese letters, and because I'm so fluent in Mandarin, I have no idea what it says whatsoever. So we ask our guide, what does it say? Ready? Chairman Mao reigns immortal. Exactly, Josh. Over his visibly dead body. It's like, dude, I got a way better savior for you than that. We as human beings are looking for some place to place our faith, though, aren't we? We want to believe in the Ron Hubbards and the, and the Joseph Smiths. We, we want to we believe in the Buddhas and the Muhammads and the Chairman Mao's. We, we, we want to attach some hope somewhere. And we open the pages of our Bible and say, could it be, is it possible? It, could it be that Jesus is actually the one we should believe in? I know it's kind of old school. My grandma believed in him. I, I kind of want something new and different. I was thinking, you know, uh, that this yoga thing might work out for me. And I could, you know, attach myself to that in some way, shape, or form. I don't know. But look what the Bible says about Jesus after Easter. His name is Lord, you guys. 
the name above all names that every knee will bow to. And you'll notice that it's not just those who are alive today, also the ones in heaven, also the ones on earth, also the ones under earth. On that day, you should sidle up to Chairman Mao. Go, uh, hey, uh, Chairman Mao, I noticed you're kneeling before the real Lord of the universe. Nice that you finally realized it, right? It's not going to be a good day for Chairman Mao, I don't think. This is what our Bible tells us about Jesus Christ. He will be exalted above all things. Everyone will recognize him and everyone will confess him. In that passage we just read in uh, Ephesians 1, all the rulers and authorities will be placed under him. Here's the picture of your Savior. Think about it again. Who was he before Christmas? He was at the right hand of God. He was God himself. He existed prior to his birth and shared equality with God. Who was he at Christmas? He was willing to take the will of the, the Godhead upon himself, comes to earth, taking the form of a slave, becomes man so that we could all relate to him. Who was he on Good Friday? He was the obedient son who sacrificed himself for you so that you could know hope. Who was he on Easter? He was the exalted son returning to his rightful place in glory. And that's who he is at this very moment at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ, our Lord Well, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty compelling description. I'm trying to persuade you to believe in this guy. I'm trying to figure out to use the exact word, tell the perfect story, have the exact cadence that might persuade you out of the slumber of your soul to stop following these false gods and follow the real one. But I know I don't have those words. I just have a picture of him. But his description is so compelling. And if this Bible is true, then Jesus cannot be ignored. So, why did he come? Well, I skipped a verse in our passage, verse 5, which adds an ethical element to this entire description where it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he gives the great description I just shared with you. He came to give us an example to follow. Our Lord is there to show us how to live. Have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He has given you an example of how to think, believe, and behave on this earth. Be like him. My goodness, think about that request, demand, if you will. It, it puts us in a position, they're like, we're supposed to follow that? Let, let, let's go back and review four major things that we just saw in the description. He didn't hold on to his previous life. 
He became a humble servant. He followed the will of God to the point of death, and he trusted God for his complete future. And I do the math, I'm like, so to have a mind like his, I shouldn't hold on to what I was. To have a mind like his, I should uh, become a humble servant. To have a mind like his, I should lay down my life for what God has to say. To have a mind like his, I should trust God for my future without debate. I wrote four words down in the margins. He lives selflessly, humbly, sacrificially, and trustingly. This is who Jesus was, and we are to have the mind that he had about life. So he came to show us how to live. Now, I have to leave Philippians for a second because he also came to show us how to die. And since all of us are going to do that, it'd be good to have an example to follow, right? So 1 Peter chapter 2, if you have a Bible, page 1015. 1 Peter chapter 2. That, that was beautiful, you guys. E- even if you didn't go to 1 Peter, just the rustling of the pages. I, it, it might have been a novel that you're reading. I, it didn't matter. I just loved hearing the noise. So. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continuously entrusted himself to him who judges justly. God sent his son to put on display what divinity would look like. He sent his son to show us how to live and how to die. 1995, Joan Osborne um, sang a song called One of Us. It was written by a fellow named Eric Bazilian. And it says this, if God had a name, what would it be? And would you call it to his face if you were faced with him in all his glory? What would you ask if you had just one question? And then she's saying, yeah, God is great. Yeah, God is good. What if God was one of us? I don't love the next line, but it's their song. Just a slob like one of us. I don't know, you think Jesus ever didn't pick his room up? You know, I, I, you don't get the feeling that Mary had to call him to dinner twice. You just, he did it anyhow. Just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home. If God had a face, what would it look like? And what would you want to see if it meant that you would have to believe? 
in things like heaven and in Jesus and all the prophets. Hmm? What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home? Do you see it, you guys? God became one of us. And he came to show us how to live and how to die. Now, because of this, he gives us a hope to embrace. We have a chance here. I don't deserve a chance because if I'm blatantly honest, I don't know how to live very well. In fact, I can read a description of that if you're interested out of Romans chapter 3, page 940. A description of how humanity goes about their business. Here's what it says. There is none that is righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Not some. All have turned aside together and have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat's an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In, the, in their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. Dear friends, that's how I know how to live. That's how you know how to live. And every day we can wake up and say, I'm going to be better today. I'm I'm, I'm going to be reformed today. I'm going to do my best. Which is a line that is used repeatedly in a relationship to God in eternity when you stand before God and He says, do you deserve to be in heaven? You go, I did my best. Uh, Can I take you to Romans 3 and show you what your best was? It's really bad. The, the Bible describes sin as um, anything you do that you're not supposed to do based on God's law. We all know that. We commit things, right? We lie, we steal, we cheat, we whatever. It's also anything that we're supposed to do that we didn't do which is a little trickier, but there's a lot of things in there that said, hey, be like this, talk like that. Uh, let's suppose for a moment you're a really good person. It's Easter. You're shined up pretty good. Let's suppose that by the end of today, you only have three failures with those two descriptions. There's only three things you did that you weren't supposed to do. There's only three things that you admitted that you should have done. Just three. Let's suppose you piled that up, being really good every single day, 2023. At the end of this year, how many failures would you have? Let's round it off to 1,000. Then let's suppose that you just lived a normal delightful life here in America and you live till you're 75 and you show up before God and he says 
How you doing? I did my best. Yeah. I've got a record of 75,000 things that might not have been so swell for you. You guys, that's if you're only three a day. You might do three before you leave the parking lot that's crowded this morning. We need hope because we're lost. In our very best moments, you guys, we just don't have it, do we? We all know that instinctively. We all know that intuitively. If we're honest about ourselves, we're like, ah, my best really isn't all that good. And if I'm really honest with you, I really don't give my best a lot of times. And think about this. So we need hope because we're lost, but we need hope because we're helpless too. I mean, if we don't know how to live, we sure don't know how to die. I mean, we've got no shot. Fear is our go-to move in life. It overwhelms us, it defines us, it guides us, and we allow our fear of death to take over our lives in such a way that we live poorly. God's got hope for you. The same chapter of Romans, right across the page in 941, verse 21, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's no distinction in this room for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Some of you are more professional sinners than others. Have, have you ever been to the Golden Corral? And when you're there, you're like, these are professional eaters that I'm around. These people have, they know how to eat. I mean, I never waste one ounce of stomach space on salad at Golden Corral. What a waste of stomach space when you have all these other things. We are professional sinners. We know how to do that. I don't have to be trained. I don't need instruction. I don't need definition. I don't need a handbook. All have done it, he says. But the next verse is so glorious. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is it, you guys. Our hopeless state is rescued by a great Savior. Who he was before Christmas, who he was at Christmas, who he was on Good Friday, who he was on Easter, and who he is today is all rolled up to say to you, he is our Lord. And there is no other. Paul wrote to the uh, Corinthian people. You don't have to turn to this one. I'll, I'll read it to you. He uh, wrote to them about the resurrection. And he summarized a, a, a position that if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, 
hear what is true. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are above all people most to be pitied. Can I put it in today's vernacular? If all we have is the hope of Christ on this earth, we are pathetic losers. But, but if he did in fact raise from the dead, if he did conquer the grave, if he is everything that this Bible says that he is, then Jesus Christ is our Lord. Remember how the verse ends up? Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But you guys, I can't leave this moment without saying and asking you this. Many of you in this room would say, yes, he is my Lord. But does everybody in this room say that? He is our Lord. We sing songs. We get all excited on Easter. People throw their hands in the airs. We celebrate the victory over the grave. It's a cool thing. Is he your Lord? Nothing could make and delight the soul of your creator more than today you would recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. The Bible says you'll be saved from those three things a day that pile up. You'll be saved, you guys. Your hopelessness will become hope. Your lostness will become found. And I want to pray for you that it would be so. Before I do, in your chair is a little card. It says, we're glad you're here. It's nice to be glad that some, you're somewhere. But on the back of that card, I would like to talk to someone about accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I would like to talk to someone about walk, renewing my walk in Christ. And if you put your name on there, a little phone or email address or whatever it is, how we can get in contact with you, we'd be delighted to chat with you about this. We're actually not very special here. Just ornery old people who found a Savior. And it's sweet. It's really sweet. And we just want you to come on into Kilwins and enjoy the ice cream with us. Toasted coconut. So if you'd fill that card out, I'm going to pray with you. We'd love for you to know Jesus as Lord as well. Father, I know, having done this many times on your name's sake, that the enemy right now is sowing doubts in the hearts of those who would like to believe, that he would come and snatch away the very words that penetrated that hard heart just a few moments ago. He is already creating doubt, confusion, and I pray that you would overwhelm him by the power of your spirit in those people's lives. That you would soften their hearts to the truth of the message they just heard and that they would believe in you and your son. That they would know the joy of forgiveness and hope. 
And if that's you in this room right now, in your heart of hearts, throw out yourself and beg God to forgive you. It doesn't have to be fancy. It just has to be real. And as you pray that prayer, know that you are then committing your life to following Jesus Christ. And it's going to be a delight. Rescue sinners from the errors of their ways, Father. Make people whole who've been broken. Give hope to the hopeless and those who are lost. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.